Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and new fuel. That's with an N and U. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dolan. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 358. So way back, it's not that far back. It's not about two years, almost two years Almo- now. Wow, almost, yeah. Yeah, almost two years ago, uh, episode 265, we talked about an announcement from Porsche that they were partnering with some chemists and a, uh, a couple of energy companies to basically come up with a synthetic gasoline. Um, and lo and behold, uh, it's at the end of 2022, and... They are about to flip the switch on the first facility down in Chile to start producing this synthetic gasoline. And actually, the article has more information uh, about like like how they're doing it too, which was um, different from previously. It was just like a, a marketing blurb. Like it didn't really give us a lot of information of how what was going on. Um, but uh, what they're basically doing. This is what's very interesting about this is. Uh, they're using wind power, okay, to uh, to basically split water, the hydrogen and oxygen. So they're electrolyzing the water, okay, um, and then the oxygen just kind of they just let the oxygen go into the into the, into the environment <laughs> to go rust the environment. Yeah, go rusty, go oxidize something. <laughs> um, and then they take the hydrogen and then they bind the hydrogen with carbon dioxide, CO2. Um, but not just and, any uh, carbon, right? Like recaptured carbon is what they're trying yeah, to do. Yeah, so that, that's the idea is they want to be able to, it, they say it captured from the air and then or industrial sources, which is like byproducts. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, yeah. One, one of these things is, is a massive amount that's probably easier for them to get. Easier to get, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then basically they combine it together and you get methanol, which is like the smallest hydrocarbon because it has one hydro, uh, one carbon atom on it. Um, and then you, the great thing about that though is now you have the building block to make any hydrocarbon. So you stick a bunch of them together and then you get basically gasoline. So it's going the opposite way. So when you, when you get oil out of the ground, um, crude oil, um, you have to, uh, you basically have to crack the the hydrocarbons apart because it's a super long chain of hydrocarbons and you got to distill it out and, and chop up the, the hydrocarbons up. Um, break, I can't remember what that process is called. It's been, what, it's cut, been cutting them down. Yeah, there's a certain process for it. Um, I wish my I could ask my dad like right now because that's what he was a chemical engineer for ever. In the, uh, oh, yeah, he gas. would know all about this. Yeah, I'm actually probably during you know, the Christmas break, I'll probably chat with him about this, this concept. Is it partial distillation? That sounds correct. Uh, distillation is definitely part of it. Uh, yeah. Partial distillation might be it. But yeah. So you, it's going the opposite way. So they're taking super short chains and making them longer to make fuel that can be basically they're making the gasoline chain. So it can just go right into a car. Um, and, the idea is 
if you can sequester or capture the CO2 from the environment or from byproducts and then use that as your hydrocarbon base, you're technically, I'm doing air quotes here, everyone, <laughs> air quotes, carbon neutral because you haven't ma- released any new carbon into the in- environment. Doing quotes there. Yeah, That's like he's doing, he's doing hardcore quotes. That's here. my words too because they're like, it's technically yes that is true technically yes but there's no um, way it's a hundred percent efficient well and co2 and the carbon cycle i guess yeah um so basically you're recycling co2 recycling the carbon which yeah, yeah so you're not you're not at least not pulling carbon out of the out of the ground and then putting that into the environment which is what is causing you know global warming and all and climate change ground up dinosaur squeezings yeah um i think most of that's actually plankton though oh yeah it's just yeah i think most most hydrocarbons it's it's not dinosaurs but yeah what's the uh what's the gasoline brand a gasoline brand that's a dinosaur Sinclair. Sinclair. yeah that's i think that's my favorite logo that one in golf the sinclair Um, one's pretty great there's yeah, a Sinclair, I, I pass by Sinclair on my way to work, and they have a brontosaurus, like an actual statue. Yeah, it's outside, an actual dinosaur, and they dress it up like regularly. Like, oh, they I drive like, to work, and it has different stuff on it. During COVID, it had a mask on the dinosaur the entire time. <laughs> um, so it's very interesting. So I got um, I, I recommend everyone to read this article um by uh Ars Technica. Um, it's pretty good. Um, basically, the, I think when they uh, this year they're going to start making like thirty four thousand gallons of thirty four thousand gallons of fuel, which is a lot, but that's not terribly a lot. Um, but they're going to start ramping it to like in twenty twenty four they'll do fourteen point five million gallons, and then in twenty six or by twenty six they'll be at one hundred forty five million gallons, which okay, that's quite a lot, um, and that's a, that's a really big ramp up. Uh, yeah, that's a big there. ramp up. And, um, and they were saying, um, what is it? I think uh, I saw in the article, they were suggesting $8 a gallon for this reclaimed, recycled new fuel, which, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest, I, that's actually cheaper than I thought it would be. Given, it given is, all the processes that they have to do to, like, just, I don't even know all the processes, but just like my gut feel of all the processes they have to do to actually create this, that actually seems fairly cheap. So I would, I would have expected more than that. Yeah. I thought it was, um, and especially since that's in small batches with small batches in quotes, um, uh, again, um, it's not, uh, full on, you know, it's not like turning, you know, half of Houston into one of these facilities yet. No, um, the, uh, and I'm sure, I'm turn. sure, like I'm sure the one of the reasons why they did that is it has some some PR stuff behind it. Oh there's, yeah, there's a lot of good feels with what they're doing here. You know, like uh, the amount of power to break hydrogen and oxygen apart is is not insignificant. Well, that's the whole point of them using wind power. It's because right. wind power is very car- uh, carbon utilization is very low. It's um, I mean you still have to build them and there's a bunch of bunch of pollution that you have to build to make to build a, a wind farm um 
They're very specialized devices, but but um, to even last start a long with time. the element before they get the methanol requires a pretty hefty energy Investments. investment. Yes, yeah. Um, but that's so why this is this is a very lossy method compared to yeah. just going up, you know, digging up some um, some crude. Yeah, and uh, I was reading some of the comments about this, and people are like, "Well, why don't you just turn to wind power and electricity, run car- electric cars?" The reason why. We can't do that is because there's 1.6 billion cars that run on gasoline in the world. Okay. And there's there's, they'll be of, here for a while. And they're going to be here for a while. And um, I mean, look at, look at uh, China and look at India on how much they're, they're still in the phase of people don't have cars and are buying cars. Like in the United States, Pretty much everyone that has a car, like that can, everyone pretty much has a car. No one is, there's not a population sector in the United States that don't have a car and are going to go buy a car. Like in You know, I, I, actually, I'm sure someone out there knows this, but that brings up an interesting point. I wonder if an, a, a typical Westerner or a typical American, shall we say, is at their like pollution limit in a way. And what I mean by that is like, are we are we polluting in in the at, at the at the rate that we're kind of expected to at, at in a peak way. efficiency? Yeah, <laughs> to to, to well, yeah to be a little bit brash our, about it. I, I see what you're saying. At our we're at our we're not expected society, to pollute our societies more, at, let's at put limits per capita. Like, right, right. Like like I have a car. My wife has a car. I'm not buying 10 more cars and driving every single one of them all day long. Like I'm at my peak emission. Yeah. It depends though. Cause <laughs> like per, yeah, per capita, the United States has produced more CO2 than like any other country per capita. Yeah. Um, I think it's cause we are a heavy car culture and that is why, and a heavy consumer country. Like we buy a lot of crap. We buy all the world's stuff. crap. Everybody, everything. Um, but that's why Porsche is looking at. So Porsche, that's one of the reasons why Porsche is looking at this is is to fuel all these cars um, in the future. Um, because it is allowing you to capture CO two from the environment or capture carbon from the environment and turn it back into fuel, so you do kind of recycle the CO two. Um, but I think the bigger thing is, uh, what is the future of current ice, you know, motors or internal combustion engines? Um, cause one of all, first of all, this fuel just, just drops right in. Like you just put it right in your car right now and it works fine. You don't have to do anything about it. Um, but in 20 years or in 30 years or 40 years, how are you going to drive those classic cars? Something like 70% of old Porsches ever made are still on the road, which is like, that's a crazy number to think about. Okay. So Porsche is looking at their legacy and their future and seeing, okay, how do we keep that legacy alive? And that is with this kind of fuel where like, now you don't have let's say in let's say um in 20 years um it 
it's looked down upon on society in society to use hydrocarbons. I mean, you know, um, well, now you have a carbon neutral way to drive your 1965 Mustang down the freeway. Yeah, makes sense. So, hmm. um, yeah, because I'm also not 100% sold on lithium powered cars solving uh, personal transportation in, in the world anytime soon. Um, I just don't see it. The, the chemistry, the, the, ba- the energy density just isn't there. Um, I'm on the, the hydrogen train. The manufacturing the um, and the, the raw material requirements for uh, basically strip mining lithium is also somewhat problematic. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like it's, it's not like a miracle cure. uh, No. Um, And the great thing is when you look at what they, what Porsche is doing here um, is using wind power power to electrolyze the water. Well, guess what? Um, That, that development work on using wind power to um, just to crack the, the, the water is what you would do if you would go in hydrogen powered. So, hmm. I, I think you know, I, I think hydrogen like fuel cells is going to be the way to go in the future. Because I think have we ever actually talked about? I think we have talked about this on the podcast. I'm sure we have. Um, but I envision fuel cell into a, into super caps. And then that goes into your your motor controller and then into your um, into your engine or motor, I guess, because um, it's not a, it's not an engine. Electric electric powered rotational devices are motors, right? Not engines. right. <laughs> the E and ice, right? Yeah. The, with with hydrogen being the basis of. Uh, of of the fuel there, a hydrogen cell makes a lot more sense than taking hydrogen, converting it into something, and then building up hydrocarbon chains just so you can burn them away and then reclaim them. That seems so lossy. And it, it, it is lossy, um, but it, it it's not the. It, I think it's important. Well, it's because also I'm like a car person, but. Like, yeah, keeping your classic car on. This is how in the future, I, I actually, when I was reading this, I'm like, this is how in 40 years, it is still going to be okay for you to drive your classic car on the road. We're going to be and not get shamed on Twitter. Old farts, Parker, in 40 years. Hmm? <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, this 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 is the way that you can you can do that where, you know, technology in 40 years, I'm sure the landscape of oh, vehicular yeah. transportation is going to look entirely different than it does now. Uh but you I I agree with you. I think this is this is a way that you know, assuming that this is a viable method that continues cuz this is brand new, right? I mean, they just brought this plant online. Yeah, they, um, it's just brought up a lot. So they're probably going to learn a lot of what their actual losses and efficiencies are, and because um, yeah, I'm I'm sure they've they've done a ton of predictions on that, and like that was part of building this entire thing. But yeah, what does it actually manifest as? Like, what does it look like at the end of the yeah. day? They're they're going to have to figure that out, and 
that $8 a gallon thing might turn into $20 a gallon. Yeah, $20 a gallon. Um, so Fancy from chat says, what is the major barrier to hydrogen adoption? Is it too expensive for the generation and supporting infrastructure? I'm not an expert in this fancy, but my my gut is it's the infrastructure. There's no place to go fill up hydrogen. Okay. Whereas, a, yeah, I mean, no place as in like there's some, but yeah, there are some. It's the same thing as electric cars were a few years ago. I think it's even worse though electric because the thing with electric cars, at least you can fill it up in your house. True. Well, garage. okay. So, so, and, and what the little I've, I've also looked into this. Uh, there's there's two barriers that exist right now, and that is storing the hydrogen in a safe and transportable manner, and then utilizing it. So the actual like extraction of energy from the hydrogen. Both of those are not up to par yet, and and the thing about the thing about hydrocarbons that that's so interesting. Like they have so much, so much more energy in in such a small area. Like we throw away so much of the energy. Like it's incredibly 70%. inefficient, and yet like it's still enough to do all the stuff we want to do. And yeah, like. In a grand scheme, I guess if you're thinking about like all of humanity, that's it's it's a little sad that we're throwing that much energy efficiency away. away. But hey, at least we have this thing that allows us to do all of the things that we need to do. Um, and hydrogen is uh, of of what I know, and it, it's minimal, but it's sort of the opposite. It's hard for us to get all the efficiency we need out of the limited amount that we can safely store and contain, contain in, a, in a vehicle. And so that's, that's one of the barriers to the next step. Like how do we safely transport this explosive, you know, uh, gas and, uh, and then utilize it in a way that, uh, would replace gasoline. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's any more dangerous than transporting a big gold tanker of gasoline, though. Um, sure, it's pressurized, but um, we run f entire fleets of compressed natural gas vehicles in the United States, and even more so over down in uh, in South America. Um, there's entire places that run off natural gas, compressed natural gas, and no one is dying at any more of a, more of a rate than they are in the United States driving <laughs> gasoline cars. They're, they're dying at the regular rate is what you're saying, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I, um, I think that you know, I, I, I watched a YouTube video about this probably a year ago uh, at this point, probably it feels like a week ago, but yeah, like building a, building a tank that is not easily punctured or not easy to explode um, there's plenty of people working on that problem right now, and I don't think that that's necessarily the problem. It's delivering hydrogen to an engine, uh, and in this case, it would be an engine, not a motor. Delivering yeah. hydrogen to an engine at a fast enough rate, and then utilizing it efficiently to trans well, so translate you're, you're into rotational about, energy. You're talking that's about that's the hard it. part. I'm yeah. talking about using it as a fuel into a fuel cell, which is would go into a motor right right yeah converting the but but that's a lossy idea itself right every time you yeah, have but, to change energy you're losing stuff and so like what i'm saying is um 
the, in terms of like turning it into kinetic energy and, and like moving something with it, it you, like reducing the number of steps that it changes energy in between there is is critical. And I think that's the one of the biggest barriers with hydrogen right now. I, I did some of the uh, did some really rudimentary napkin math um, in like a, a discord channel, a car discord channel um, about basically the difference between a uh, I was I, I picked I picked a Tesla in this example because it's like the most popular electric car you can get. And there's a lot of a lot of data on um, how much CO2 or how much how much you pollute basically when you build a Tesla versus when you and I started looking at, at hydrogen powered cars. And um, if you um, basically just look at the battery pack differences. And this is using a fuel cell for hydrogen, not just burning it. Um, and basically the um, how much more lithium is and this is if you include generate so you have to basically generate the hydrogen right um, but I was looking at it as basically what you're talking about those inefficiencies is about 30% difference between if you're taking the electron uh, going into your electric car and then turning the wheels versus turning an electron, into hydrogen and then into a fuel cell into electricity turning the wheels it's like a 30 ish percent difference in in loss there okay so you lose 30 percent more energy so if you take that into account i'm actually surprised it's only 30 <laughs> percent yeah if you take i i've read like three or four different papers and most of them are getting this like like 29 to like there's like 36 percent range I, I i would have guessed the opposite like you lose 70 percent and only keep 30 percent no it's it's not as bad as you think um hmm. but with how much more to basically get similar ranges how much more battery you need just for the pure electric hmm. and how much more pollution that actually causes in manufacturing it basically ends up being where like the hydrogen powered car um is a less of a footprint carbon wise up to about 10 to 11 years in its life cycle. Oh, wow. Compared to a Tesla, like model three, I think is the one I picked with this battery. Um, and yeah, so that, that's like, and you look it up, it's like, well, actually in about eight, nine years, that battery pack needs to be recycled and replaced. So it's like, it doesn't even make it the full, life cycle uh of that 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 you know napkin math uh experiment I was, or napkin math uh research i was doing so i could be off there but it, so it was, it's close right and one of them requires a lot less strip mining to do and dig lithium up <laughs> true now i think really the only crazy element you need, you need platinum to build fuel cells it's like the entire insides of them are like platinum plated. Hmm. I did not know that. Um, so that's like one of the, there might be some other elements you need, but that's like the rarest of all the elements um, that you need to make a hydro uh, hydrogen cell. Um, How was platinum mined? I don't know anything about platinum. Yes, Luther from chat. Current hydrogen is almost entirely produced from coal and natural gas. But guess what? If you chose the electron coming from 
wind power, which while I was doing this experiment, because guess what? Most electricity in the United States is also produced from the coal natural gas, which is what's powering your Tesla. So if you basically I was, I was looking at it is if the hydrogen power car requires 30% more electrons going into it to go to the same distance. And when you average that out over this entire lifespan, it takes 11 years for that hydrogen powered car to over to finally overcome the climate change that mining the lithium battery causes. So just because your fuel source that you're powering it is clean doesn't mean that the actual life cycle of your product is clean. Craft Lab in chat. Platinum <laughs> is mined from stolen catalytic converters. I like that as a, a new really word for it. I'm go, I'm going to go mine tonight. <laughs> yeah, go mine. Go go find some some um, Priuses and take their catalytic converters. What is it about platinum in ca catalytic converters that makes it so like they have that honeycomb, I don't know, matrix in catalytic converters that guy what is it, like I don't I don't understand the process, do you know? It it provides a I don't say I think it provides like a membrane slash surface for the reactions to happen. And then and then whatever exhaust is coming through i guess sticks to whatever that honeycomb it's is. it's not really sticking I it guess. reacts um, somehow it reacts but it's breaking it down it's basically breaking knocks down nitrogen yeah. oxide yeah and, and, and into something physical that remains there right because it actually builds it a layer i think i don't think i think it does but not as much thick as you think it well, yeah, because you you're like you don't have to. That's not like a replaceable part that you have to replace on the regular. No, they last about I want to say like a decade or more. Mm -hmm. At least modern ones. So. Hmm. But they're they're a it's a, 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 a in the name catalytic. It, it has a it acts as like a a site where though uh, the I think I'm pretty sure it's NOx reduction is what they're using it for. Um, that provides a spot for NOx to basically break apart or combine with something, maybe. Yeah, I think it's it not grows like it's, a layer on on everything, like slowly, but eventually. yeah. But how much volume of of material goes through a catalytic converter? I doubt that's the primary way, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I got to look that. I know up. they're expensive though, because they, I guess, rare earth metals. Depends. It depends. Um, like you can get an aftermarket one for like a hundred and fifty bucks, brand new. Um, but some cars, like a a Prius, are really expensive because they have basically they have way more platinum and palladium and all this other stuff in it, which drives up the cost. So basically, like. To reduce emissions even more, you need more of that material in there. Whereas, like older cars, they didn't need all that material in it, so their catalytic converters are cheaper. Right. It just depends on what car it is. If it's a modern, like a newer car, it's going to be more expensive than an older car. Yeah, they have more strenuous regulations to stick to. Yeah, the um, 
funny thing is when catalytic converters uh, first came on the market back in the what mid seventies, late seventies, um, to get them to work right, uh, you had to pump oxygen into the exhaust stream. Hmm. And so, like, supercharge it. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, it was called a smog pump, and it was an air <laughs> pump that was pump, that's awesome. A smog pump. And it was a belt-driven air pump that would inject air um, basically in your exhaust Hmm. to make your catalytic converter work better. Because otherwise, the catalytic converter just didn't work. But it it would just take outside air and Yeah, just just outside air and pump it into your exhaust. And so that induced oxygen into into your exhaust stream, which allowed the catalytic converter to work better. Or was was the pump tied to RPM so it would yeah. in uh, uh, it would yeah, go up the, and down? All, it was a belt driven pump. Okay, it, it was like an alt. It would be like right under your alternator. Right, right, yeah, just a, basically a fan that just pushed air into your exhaust. Yeah. It's a supercharger. Yeah, a supercharger, but just for the exhaust. For the exhaust, yeah. Now, does that wait? Okay, so does that mess with your back pressure though? Because like, if is it coming right off the manifold of the of the engine every single engine i've seen it on um usually goes in the exhaust manifold like right where the exhaust manifold bolts up to the engine right um and then um but i i'm working on a a chevy inline engine right now and it actually injects it right into the cylinder head like right on the valve for the uh, exhaust valve that's odd um that's gotta screw with the back pressure then oh yeah it does you just it, tune around it, right? Tuned around it or whatever. Um, I mean, this is also the era where like a 5.9 liter American V8 got 170 horsepower. <laughs> tune well, as was, much well, as you can. Well, what they did is um, because the control knocks, basically it was all knocks emissions. Um, um, they would uh, they would just reduce Reduce the compression of the engine, which would reduce NOx output, which also reduces horsepower a lot. And then all the other, most of the mission control stuff didn't do too much to the horsepower ratings. It was mostly, oh, we don't have the money to design a new V8 that is just better. So we're just going to lower the compression because we all we have to do is just change the piston size or like Mm. the shape of the piston. Hmm. And then there you go. Back when um, when the way to increase safety was to just put more engine between you and the thing you hit, right? Oh, no. A thin layer of foam on your dash pad. <laughs> yeah, there we go. No, that was legitly was sold as safety devices in the 60s and 70s was a padded dash. Not seatbelts. No, no, no. A padded dash that was like an eighth inch thick was well, a safety device. And, and you know, above a certain speed limit, like that, that kind of stuff goes right out the window. But they probably also weren't pushing 85 all the time back then. That's you know? true. I mean, the, the nationwide speed limit was like 65 and then dropped down to 55 mm-hmm. in the oil crisis. So can we pause for a second? I've had enough beer. I need to go to the little boys room. Okay.
Pod Max seatbelts. Graphob, yeah. Howdy, bro, Copy Smith. It's been a while. And we need to switch topics because <laughs> we've been talking about this. I was hoping this one would go like 10 minutes and we're at 30. <laughs> Staying up late. You on the East Coast, bro, Kyle Smith? <clears throat> All right, uh, Josh, we are back. I'm going to clap again. So our next topic is um, chip manufacturing equipment sales are at a record high this year, 2022. Um, probably uh, spurred by the fact that uh, uh, the supply chain shortages and also the CHIPS Act that was passed here in the United States. Um, but I don't think the CHIPS Act is really affecting that number yet oh i mean it's yeah it's so fresh this stuff takes quite a a while i think that this is anticipation for a rebound in um ic manufacturing for sure Mm -hmm. that's what i think so um is right now they're just starting to basically break soil on a lot of these new fabs here in the united states yeah we ran over that like a few i don't know maybe five or six podcasts ago, like a, a whole list of all the new stuff. And and when we say new, a lot of it was like brand new. Brand new. Um, and um, so it's uh, it was like $108 or $109 billion this year, which is the second year in a row that's been over $100, million, $100 billion. Um, and so you go, oh, that's got to be coming from the chip back because chip back was... billion around there. Um, But when you actually look at the breakdown of who is the top leaders in buying SMT equipment, or not SMT equipment, um, chip manufacturing equipment, it is China, Taiwan, and Korea. Whereas you would think of if, if the United States was currently building these fabs or in that mode of getting the equipment, they would be number one, which I bet you within like two, three years, U.S. will be number one for at least a year or so and buying this equipment um, once those fabs are, the buildings are built, right? And every, all the infrastructure is set up. Um, and Craft Lab and chat has a good point. India is also trying to build up domestic chip manufacturing as well. Um, everyone is building fabs. Um and uh, it's just going to keep. I don't think it's going to drop below unless we have like a like <laughs> a global recession. <laughs> recession, like yeah. Um, I don't see this number going down. I think. Like, I think what this is is uh, this is a really good sign that maybe the light at the end of the tunnel, or or like things are making a turn in a way. We're seeing a lot of large businesses make 
strategic investments in things because they anticipate the end of things and a, and a good solid rebound. It may not be 23, but if we're looking at 24, five, six as a, as a solid rebound, I think this is initial indicators of that. Yeah. Especially where, um, what is it? The United States is at an all time high of manufacturing, manufacturing dollars, uh, is at all time high in the United States right now. Well, um, supply's been, um, I'm sorry, demand's been through the roof. Through the roof. Right? Yeah. So people so are gearing up to to meet that. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see that um, uh, see this in that as well. And that the United States has this has this CHIPS Act, which was, you know, a monumental uh, legislation that went through and how much money United States is going to spend on this, and it's still not even in the top three yet in spend on this kind of equipment. And I think I think a lot of what happened during COVID, uh, and and quite a few other things, um, are sort of the catalyst for why the Chips Act happened. And and it is to decouple ourselves from a from the global market in a way of uh, of high-tech chips let's just put it that way because we're, as park and i have discussed in the past it's not going to be you're like joe schmo um little chips it's it's a little bit more well, of the high tech some stuff of them that are the chips act goes towards some of them are though like a lot of the ti new fabs and then there's um there was those fabs up on the east coast those are actually going to be joe schmo chips um well, expanding I, 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 a, a portion of a portion. a portion of it, it, but it's still not like the chip that goes in the McDonald's toy or or oh, that's true. Things things of that sort is what I'm getting at. To think that like little throwaway toys have microcontrollers in it is just yeah. They they all have what uh, flip chips and and blobs all over the place. That's just I'm shaking my head right now for the audio <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Oh man! But those those are probably not part of the what the Chip Act is trying to to bring to America. That's true. That's true. Um, but what did we say? It was like we need six hundred thousand skilled laborers just for this market alone over the next like six seven years. Yeah, and right, uh, and that that's like the amount due to growth, not the amount due to just needing replacement. That's new. Yeah, jobs. that's just that's new. Yeah, new new people we need in this industry to cover that two hundred eighty billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, if you are a college student out there, or actually anyone, anyone out there wanting to get into manufacturing, chip manufacturing is probably the way to go. And you can do anything. Any kind of degree can probably get a job at chip manufacturer. <laughs> But if you are a double E, that's a pretty good way to go. Yeah. They uh, might, they we were, might the, at the beginning, they might throw you on a test line and you're, you're doing, you know, product uh, verification and things like that for, you know, a few years just, but you know, that's how mechanical engineers though, chemical engineers. Yeah. Yeah. Engineers. We went through a whole list of what they need and it's just basically everyone. Every, it, 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 they need everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and I was looking more at this report too, as just some other interesting things is most of this money, this $108 billion that was spent on, on chip manufacturing 
Most of it went into wafer manufacturing equipment, which makes sense because that's like the front line. Like all you hear is is chip fabs can't get enough wafers. And so that makes sense. That's what they're building more of. Um, and then most Pure of silicon those, crystals are not the easiest thing to manufacture. Well, because they have to be they have to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, they have to be perfect. And not only that, they have to be perfect for your setup, for your process. Yeah, and so into that is most of these wafer machines are dedicated for logic slash active components like microcontrollers. Uh, that's where most of these machines are being designed and built for. Yeah, man, if you're if you're looking like if you if you are a teenager right now, and I don't know why you'd be listening to our podcast, um, but good on you but, if you are, um, and you're thinking about. Like, I want to be an engineer. What industry to go into? Chip manufacturing is probably a really good safe bet. Because you're looking like what job in four years is going to be hiring a lot. It's going to be chip manufacturing. And in in that list. Or, that we or we're about just poking each other with pointy sticks at that point. <laughs> but who knows? But, but we uh, in that list that we talked about, it wasn't like all of these fabs were all in California or whatever. They were all over the place. So all it's not, it's not like you had to like, you could actually, find a job think, in multiple States. I don't, was any of them actually in California? Maybe it was one. I remember Texas. I remember Pennsylvania, Arizona, Ohio. One of them. Well, there was also Arizona, right? Um, yeah. TSMC is going to Arizona, right? Yeah, TMC is building a huge facility. Yeah. It's, it's unreal how big that is. We get uh, we occasionally get um, pictures. Someone someone in our Slack channel um, is in proximity of that, and so we get updated yeah. pictures on the regular of the place. It's pretty cool. That facility is huge. Yeah. So uh, that 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 is that is a pretty good career move. That's uh, it for would sure. be, especially if you're looking, you know, maybe or you're just in college and like you're looking three four years down the road. Which is hard to gauge the market, but I would say chip manufacturing is probably a big safe bet. Hopefully, I don't. We don't. In four years, the market crashes, and then like we screwed like six hundred thousand people that would listen to this podcast for it. And the whole TSMC plant just turned into like a giant skate park or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next topic. Um, why this is the article title why the computer company Raspberry Pi's new hire caused a social media firestorm and this was the topic earlier uh, we turned the stream on where might piss people off um, but I will say I don't have any stake in this game so I'm going to try to avoid pissing people off it's not our goal to do that that's not our goal Go to entertain and maybe I, I kind of want to just bring up some some thoughts, I guess, um, about this topic, too. Um, so uh, I guess the best thing is say what happened. Right. And then just comment about it. I yeah. should be safe. Because <laughs> <laughs> with anything that's social media or like especially social media firestorm. It's a minefield. It's a minefield and trying to take in both sides, 
try to be fair. It, it's hard to do um, because uh, human nature is just not fair. Well, and, and we don't typically talk about this kind of stuff, but no, I, I do want to talk more about this stuff in the future though. Cause yeah, honestly, like you and I have a lot of opinions about this kind of stuff and um, I think we should. I don't think we actively avoid them. It's just, it hasn't been our place. Uh, yeah, we just, we place. don't, we, I, I, we don't actively avoid them, but we also don't actively pursue this kind of stuff. Correct. Um, but I bet you this gets us more downloads. Maybe. Podcast. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's enough hedging. What is it? Okay. Um, so Raspberry Pi made a blog post where they hired an ex-police officer, Toby Roberts, uh, as a maker in residence, I guess kind of like an influencer. I guess that's kind of what he what he'll do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like PR stuff. Um, and they had basically an article about his background. Um, and they had a line in there. Um, he's an ex-police officer, but he says, I was a, this is the quote, I was a technical surveillance officer for 15 years, so I built stuff to hide video, audio, and other covert gear. And that's really only, right? That's really the only thing that mentions anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they go into a little, just a tiny bit more detail on that. Uh, it, the the article that we're talking about here is from um, BuzzFeed. Yeah, um, but and, the, and they the, cover just a tiny bit more than that, but it's but nothing significant. Um, okay, actually, here's the whole quote. I'm actually on the Raspberry Pi blog, and they left the blog post up. Um, it says, uh, this is what in Toby's words, uh, I used to be a police officer tackling serious organized crime and terror threats across the East of the UK. Toby tells us I was a technical surveillance officer for 15 years. So I built stuff to hide video, audio, and other covert gear. You really don't want your sensitive police equipment discovered. So I, I disguise it as something else. The variety of tools and equipment I use then really shaped what I do today end quote. And then everything else is about um, how to learn about Raspberry Pi, um, what he's looking forward to working with Raspberry Pi on, favorite projects, hobbies, that kind of stuff. Um, And the, the social media backlash was insane. Like I read, I actually read, I read the Twitter post, original Twitter post, and then the blog about like right when it came out and I read it and I'm like, okay, whatever, you know? And then I come back like four days later and apparently I'm supposed to hate raspberry Pi now. Um, and, um, and I started looking into it and I read this BuzzFeed article, which actually has really good coverage um, over like what actually goes on. So I would, well, I would, if you're out there listening to our podcast right now, go read this article, go read the original blog post, make your own informed decisions about what's going on. Um, but basically a lot of people were, thinking or thought that Raspberry Pi was pro cop or, or apparently a lot of people who also follow Raspberry Pi are anti-cop. Um, no stake in any of those games either. We're not going to play any sides there. Um, 
but but but, it was, but on top so, of that, like in in particularly this this wasn't just like a typical police officer. I think I think the fact that the, that they, was a, that Toby played in surveillance surveillance correct. Um, it kinda, where a lot of people are got people on edge. Got people on edge, um, especially a lot like uh, a lot of people are, are for privacy, EFF, that kind of stuff. Um, and then. So you have a, this huge backlash, which honestly, though, that happens no matter what you announce, right? There's always going to be a backlash, always going to be a PR stuff to handle. I think it went, the initial stuff was probably a little bit crazy, in my opinion. Um, I'm not a big fan of cops either, but when I read that article, I did not think them hiring an ex-cop was being pro-cop in any sort of the way. Um but or like pro surveillance state or, or pro surveillance like either because like yeah. it's just it's just the dude saying what he used to do which um, which okay from from a completely you know taking a step back like the guy mentioned that the things he had to design as being a cop uh you know he he probably had to be fairly creative with what he was making and so like that might have actually given him some skills that are something that he you know is taking to this next venture that he's going on yeah yeah sure um but what really turns this knob from like being not a big deal at all like a number three on the scale to 11 is <laughs> how raspberry pi's pr or how their social media teams responded by basically calling people stupid blocking people um and just straight up like like being aggressive is probably uh, being nice to how they were responding to their backlash. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of rude response comments and a lot of a lot of things that are just they don't seem very fitting for a company like that to no. respond in that way. Oh, not professional at all. Not not professional, and 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 it's going to it's it's hitting the bees nest. The bees are already all around you, and then you're hitting the bees nest. It's not a great i yeah. a great move. Not just hitting the bees nest, like taking the bees nest down and ripping it apart. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it honestly feels like the way that the comments are written, it feels less like it was it, it devolved from professionalism into just individuals yelling at each other. Yeah, it was it was a reading what Raspberry Pi's official social media teams were writing to people is honestly was just like, like, I wouldn't want to like looking at what they were responding with. I wouldn't want to use a Raspberry Pi in any product going forward. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, and what, I, what I'm seeing is a lot of people mentioning it's not about uh, well, okay. The, the 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 use of the word tone deaf. They they they're saying like the 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 announcement and like this almost like praise that we've hired a cop that that being spelled out as being tone deaf. Sure, whatever. If you want to, if if you want to frame you, it that way. If you feel way, that way, but, I will but, say though, I'm gonna pop real quick on that because that's topic. What I was trying to get at earlier is, I when I read that I didn't get that but and that's that's exactly my point other people are saying that's not that's not what people are upset about people aren't upset yes. about like the potential 
amount of tone deaf. Maybe somebody is, but everyone is. It seems to be clearly in, up initial, in arms about the way you responded after that. Yeah, and it's clear that the initial people cared about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't get that jive when I was reading that article when they announced it. Um, but it was yes, it's ninety five percent the reaction of Raspberry Pi. That is. That's that's when the story goes to eleven, right? It would have been a three, and then two days later, no one would have cared. Which you, you, you know, and and the funny thing about it is, perhaps this is even just some I don't know, some something to learn from. Like, if Raspberry Pi just had said nothing at all, like it would have been yeah. fine. Yeah. No, two days later, no one would remember it. In in fact, okay, so this story is at this point, it's over ten days old. I, I it might might even be two weeks old or something. In in us making the notes for this episode, we had to go back and find this stuff. Nobody's even talking about it. It was hard. It it took a little bit of extra effort to go and find this stuff. So it was one of those flash in a pan situations where people got all up in arms about it. There situation. are still some people that are like raspberry pi boycotters. Sure, but what I'm saying is like we actually had to put some effort to go find this information like if you go That's type true. in raspberry pi on news on google right now you don't find people talking about this you find other, something else so like this is already kind of blown over in a way which yeah. which is kind of which is also another situation where it's just like man if something like this happens from the raspberry pi situation uh you know their organization probably would have been a better just to not even jump in the pool you know just be silent about it yeah so um i I wanted to bring up this topic, not just from it's in our industry or kind of in our industry. It's like a side adjacent industry um, because it's social. It's actually more social media instead of electronics, but it's, it's still maker, electronics maker media make, but it, but it is an electronics company that uh, just committed really bad PR. Yeah. Um, is what happened to their, because uh, this most of this happened on their Mastodon accounts, okay? Um, and what happened over there, um, because so if you've been living on a rock for for last couple months, Elon Musk bought Twitter. A lot of people are not happy with Elon Musk being owning Twitter. And so they went to other services, like one is called Mastodon. And Mastodon is like in quotes, Twitter, but it's like a decentralized server setup. Um, and uh, because of that, how the accounts work are kind of weird. It's like per server instances, but you can have like a bridged one that kind of like takes stuff from all the other servers. It's kind of weird. Um, very interesting stuff, though. You can set up your own playground, your own social media playground, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... What happened was because of this backlash, um, a lot of Mastodon server owners in that tech sp space basically were able to deplatform Raspberry Pi and Mastodon, which is super interesting to look at and think about. Where, um, like that would never happen on like Facebook or Twitter, right? Um, and I got into, I was talking to some people on, on Twitter actually about like, where are companies like microchip 
and um, uh, Arduino. And where are those companies? If if Twitter goes away, where are those companies going to go next? Right to do their advertisements and their engagement to their communities. And I was like, and I was I pointed out like it's not going to be Mastodon. Because you commit one PR flub, and honestly, they flubbed really, really bad. You commit one PR flub, and you're deplatformed. Whereas you commit a PR flub on Twitter, you delete the tweets and just go silent for a couple weeks, and then you come back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the pitchforks and torches go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, they go somewhere else. Um, so I, I can't see... I can't see, like companies going to those kind of service like a mastodon style service well um, and 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 raspberry pi isn't like off Ma- mastodon they they went to an unlisted state which right. which basically means that you can still see their stuff if you follow them but they're not going to just pop up in your global feed yes well that's all i'm talking about is like sure their instance still exists but it's not connected to any other instance really anymore and so you have to go actively seek them out to go get them. Meaning that if like someone likes their content that you follow, you're not going to see their, their, that, that thing. So it's very interesting. Um, the moral of the story is shut up on, on, on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, also, I, I think I think at the same time, moral of the story is make sure that whoever is running your social media, um, I'm not saying that they went rogue in there, but but make sure that they're all they always have a professional tone with what they're doing. If it could affect your brand, yeah. Like this. Honestly, it's like I'm not ever going to call the people who were angry at first like trolls or anything because they probably have that is their view. They, then they felt really strongly about it and that's their right to feel really strongly about it. But when a company shit posts back, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Jumping in, jumping in the mud pit with everyone is, uh, <laughs> it's fine. It doesn't to work engage, out well. It's fine to engage back in a professional manner. Yeah. But yeah. don't one, first of all, don't like they were personally attacking the people back. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what and, are you doing? Honestly, just from the tone of things, it felt like uh, felt like somebody who was controlling their social media was just responding in the way that they would on their personal social media account. But even that, they were they were being assholes. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right. I I guess actually that's a good moral story. Don't be an asshole. Just don't. Like what's the purpose? Yeah, just a I don't know. Like reading the responses, I'm like, who thought that? Even if it was your personal like account, who would even think responding like that was a good idea to begin with? Now, granted, <laughs> there's a lot of people who respond like that on the internet, yeah. but yeah, it's the internet. it just did not make sense in my brain, like to respond to a whole stranger. And granted, you know that person, that other stranger, is saying mean things at you first, but it's like you, you can't meet hostility with hostility back. That's not how society works, people. It usually doesn't. We get live in a society. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh man. 
So yes, um, go read. We'll put the articles up and on the show notes. Go read that Buzz, BuzzFeed article. If you are completely out of the loop, if you are in the loop, you probably already have opinions. So you're probably not going to change your mind of whatever because that's how everything on the internet works. You once once you've made your decision, that's your decision forever. Um. <laughs> well, but, okay. Um, so so as as a quick side note, <laughs> I read earlier today. Um, I I I'm failing to find the article right now, but uh, Raspberry Pi just came out um, not that long ago, stating that uh, this year they've kind of cleared up a lot of their supply chain issues and Raspberry Pis all the way from the zero to the threes and the fours are now going to be in stock in uh, in singles at you know the usual suspects you can buy them at. Uh, so they've cleared a lot of that up. It has been caused delays on the Raspberry Pi 5, which is probably not going to happen in 2023. They're thinking of 2024. But regardless, the supply issues with Raspberry Pi are clearing up. So that's a hey, that's good news for them. I'm happy for them. 2023, they stated in this article that you should be able to purchase whatever quantity you want is basically what they said. At MSRP? At MSRP, although they did have to raise prices on basically everything. Okay. So I think think they did a blanket $5 across the board. Well, hopefully they got a new person running their PR on their social media and maybe pay them some money. Yeah, maybe yeah, this this seems like the kind of situation you would do that with yeah yeah uh, but yes go read that buzzfeed article if you don't know anything about it uh or just don't care because it's just social media um if anything though i would say this i would say this go read it especially if you are like you have a small company or you are in a in a marketing position, you should go read this stuff and go go read the article from BuzzFeed. Go research like the blog posts. Go read the responses and all that stuff, and learn how to make sure you don't go in fall into that trap. Yeah, or if you're hiring, don't someone- become don't become the next Raspberry Pi PR flub. Uh, honestly, if you if you were hiring a social media expert. This would be a great thing to uh, to like have an interview where you say, "How would you handle this? What would you respond to this with?" Yeah, that's actually a great. Actually, just bringing if some, if you're hiring someone for PR, like social media stuff, is actually just bringing this up mm-hmm. of like, "Hey, have you heard about the recent Raspberry Pi stuff?" And if they have no idea, you probably don't want to hire them. <laughs> well, I'm mean, obviously depending on their industry, but yes. I would say like any, I mean, if you're running social media for any company, you should be, that should be like something that you should be reading about. Well, but your uh, industry, your industry is tweets. You should be reading about making tweets better, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let us know in, in our Slack or on Twitter. If we, we flubbed, made a PR flub today. (laughs) So that was the MacFred Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or have feedback about everything that we talk about, 
let Steve and I know. Um, please be kind to us. Tweet us at MacFab at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack.